Hello and welcome to Inside Intercom. I'm Liam Geraghty. One of the knock-on effects of the COVID pandemic was the acceleration of learning from home. Schools across the world had to suddenly figure out how best to teach their students. And it wasn't just students in high school. Over the last few years, there's been a rapid growth in the edtech sector across the board. Today on the show, we're taking a lesson in edtech with some of Intercom's customers who have been at the forefront of this change to find out the challenges and successes they've experienced, not to mention the trends they're seeing. Later in the show, we'll be hearing from Laurent Biederman, head of customer experience at Simply, who are sparking creativity through their music learning apps. I think that a lot of companies, especially in ad tech, but many industries could benefit from saying, yes, we're putting our customers at the forefront, but but looking into what sort of substance can be placed behind that. How can we generate a lot of value for the customers and how can we ensure that they're enjoying it every step of the way? We'll be talking to Chris Jagazia, co-founder and CEO of Off to Class, a tool for English as a second language teachers. It's really been over the last year in every sector, not just in education, that the staffing issues have really come to the forefront, at least for our clients. We're seeing it as an opportunity to rethink the way teaching gets delivered to students in schools. And we'll be chatting to Chris Hull, Chief Product Officer and Co-Founder of Otis, a system that's able to integrate student performance info into one place about the future of EdTech. I think that we're on the precipice of something that's going to be really amazing. That is all coming up. But first, I mentioned the rapid growth in the edtech sector, and one company who've experienced that is OutSchool. OutSchool is a marketplace for live online classes for kids aged 3 to 18. That's Tristram Hewitt, the head of operations at OutSchool. So teachers can list classes about you know, nearly any subject that they're qualified to teach. And then families and kids can sort of enroll in those classes. There is a huge variety of classes on the platform. For example, you can learn about math while also learning about Pokemon. What's really cool about it is that teachers can sort of choose what they want to teach. So they're making classes that are interesting for them. And then families can decide what they want to take and kids can decide what they want to take. Homeschoolers is a major market for outschool, as well as kids taking after-school lessons for academic enrichment and support. And because it's an online platform, kids from all around the world can enroll. So we've got kids from every continent taking classes together on outschool. So in addition to sort of the benefits of the diversity of class types and class content, you can really get a truly sort of international education from your home, which is, I think, very cool. Figures show that the edtech market grew by nearly 21% year over year in 2021. OutSchool has seen that growth firsthand. The pandemic drove a lot of change in edtech. That is absolutely true. You know, a few things that you Notice is you know, first for OutSchool, it led to dramatic growth of the marketplace. You know, we grew over 15x in 2020 versus the prior year. From a booking standpoint, is great, but it also lets you bring on a lot more sellers. So there's a lot more liquidity and choice on the marketplace than there was before, which creates a much better product and experience for, for sort of buyers today. You know, in addition, I think you saw a lot more adoption of ed tech products by classroom teachers. 
partly because the pandemic, you know, forced people to use technology more. And there's you know, a long list of products that I think, you know, people had access to previously, but the teachers weren't sort of forced to use it. So might not, you know, use it otherwise because they can sort of teach without it. Something Tristram has noticed is an increase in the importance of one-to-one learning. Some of this is driven by sort of catch up from the pandemic and sort of funding available from the government to catch up from the pandemic. So you had like the the ESSA funds from the federal government funding a lot of tutoring initiatives. In California, California has launched a sort of free tutoring initiative, all of which is, I think, pushing the normalization of online tutoring, which I suspect is going to be, you know, here to stay. And I suspect will, you know, even happen within the confines of schools. You know, if a kid's in school and they need tutoring, your tutor doesn't necessarily have to sort of come to be there to be physically present with you. And I think a lot of this will sort of stay, stay online and sort of move more and more online o- over time. Tristram says there was a continuous rise in homeschooling prior to the pandemic. And then the pandemic just accelerated that. And, you know, there may be some retrenchment of, you know, some people who went, who were homeschooling before going back. But generally, it got a lot more people to consider homeschooling uh, than, than previously. And, you know, and some, a lot of them will stay. Along with that, you know, you have more people working from home, which makes homeschooling more possible than it was, was previously when, you know, everybody has to go to the office. And I think homeschooling is important for ed tech, partly because it's, you know, it's a more consumer-driven model to education. And consumers are often going to sort of adopt things at a faster rate than businesses do. And so that opens up the possibility for a faster pace in sort of technological innovation. Tristram, from your vantage point, what trends are you seeing in the sector? I think we're a long way from the full potential of ed tech being realized. People have more devices, people have become more proficient using technology, but there's a huge variation, you know, amongst teachers in their desire to sort of continue using devices and technology, right? And that, that will drive a lot of adoption of ed tech. There's also, you know, ongoing challenges in the sort of equity in, in devices and internet access. So if you think about public schools is they need to make sure whatever they're putting up is accessible by all students. And I, I think, again, we've made a lot of strides in device access and internet access, but it's not completely there yet, which definitely sort of restricts you know, some of the usage uh, of those tools. And I think there's also this thing of like, we're still early in figuring out how to keep kids safe online. You know, there's a British age-appropriate design code. There's the California age-appropriate design code. So there's regulations there that are, I think, going to support more safe usage of the internet by kids. But one of the barriers, at least I as a parent sort of see, is like letting your kid use technology and, and the internet for education. You want to make sure that it's a safe place. At OutSchool, we have invested a lot in making sure our platform is extremely safe for kids and families. But that's, I would say, not universally true in all the sort of sites accessed by kids. Hopefully, as a society, we'll move towards making all the sort of sites that kids access a lot safer so that more families are comfortable, you know, sticking their friends in front of a computer and letting them sort of use it for educational purposes. And I think the other thing that I I would expect will, will drive change from the regulatory standpoint, you see an increase in, in sort of charters and use of vouchers and ESSA funds, again, which sort of puts more money in the hands of consumers who I, I'd expect are going to be more likely to adopt new, new technologies. 
You also see, you know, lots of rumors or discussion about the sort of teacher shortage, right? And then, you know, if you have fewer teachers and fewer qualified teachers in classrooms, we need to sort of make up the gap. And then technology is one way that you can, you know, fill that gap in sort of personnel is by using more tools to educate kids. And so I think that that's also going to be a driver of adoption and growth in ed tech. Next, we are getting our groove on with Simply, who have a suite of apps for learning music instruments. Simply is basically on a mission to bring life-enriching journeys to every household around the world. That's Liram Biederman, Head of Learner Experience at Simply. We're currently doing that through our music learning apps, Simply Piano, Simply Guitar, and Simply Sing. And quite soon with some exciting new additions that should be coming up very, very soon. So Liran, who would be users of Simply? So learners who install Simply Piano, for example, and are, are sort of launching themselves into this new journey could come from very different backgrounds. Sometimes it would be people who are complete beginners like myself and are kind of hesitant or worried. I, I can share from my personal experience that the very first day that I joined Simply, I told my colleagues, okay, I'm going to go and try the app now because I need to know what our learners are experiencing, especially the first experience, and etc. And so I found myself looking for the quietest room in the, in, in, in the office. Fortunately, we have a recording studio, so soundproof doors and soundproofed everything, so nobody can hear me. But like within about 30, 40 minutes, I think I had a sort of aha moment, as we call it, and because I sort of realized I, I did come into this without thinking that I could do this, hence the looking for soundproof studio. But then all of a sudden, I was able to read notes and, and play albeit simple pieces, but but I could play them. So so that was kind of like quite a shocker for me. And that's when my wife and me started becoming addicted to, to the app in a way. Liran agrees the edtech sector has experienced something of a renaissance throughout the pandemic, but he likes to look back even further into the sector's journey. I think that you can look at the birth of all sorts of MOOC platforms, the massive online open course platforms, which gained a lot of steams and were envisioned as like this big solution, which you know, even universities were, were, were kind of fearful of at the time. And then my, my personal prism of seeing this over, over the last few years was that those platforms experienced some hardships because they realized that, yes, the, the, the vision is really, really good and interesting. It's sort of democratizing learning to, to an extent. But it's also become very challenging to ensure learner success and, and making sure that they reach the checkered flag. My personal opinion is that it sort of goes to show that learners as a whole, high level, do need the right framing to be able to, to prosper and to succeed. They need a supportive environment, which MOOC platforms did not always place enough emphasis on in order to enable learners to actually reach the checkered flag. So with that in mind, at Simply, we're constantly being mindful of that and we're testing out new methods to ensure that learners are, are feeling that they are getting the support and they are getting the proper value from the apps, that they 
are enjoying picking up new skills and are not feeling that this is a daunting experience, but rather they feel like someone took the inherent complexity of learning a new skill and kind of broke it apart and simplified the whole learning process. That, that's key for them to be able to then spread the words to their friends, family, and what have you. You mentioned earlier about having the recording studio in Simply, and that got me thinking about your company culture. What effect does that culture have on your customer experience or the learner experience, as you call it? Simply have a very unique company culture. It's one that is able to catapult us to succeed in many different aspects that we're focusing on. In the learner experience sphere, we're taking that and and sort of mixing that core value that we have at Simply of impact velocity. And we're taking that to make sure that we're generating proper, tangible, added value for our learners every sprint. So even in the learner experience pod, we work in pods in Simply, which are multidisciplinary teams that are able to work very, very fast on achieving our goals. We're working in sprints. So that literally means that the experience that our learners are having is changing every fortnight for the better. So we're able to kind of ensure that the, that the experience is both unique touches people where where they need support and make sure that they feel comforted supported and that they have the right enablement in order to in order to succeed as the head of learner experience at simply i think that our learners are definitely our most valuable asset and when i look at that statement which you know, if, if you if you say that it's a bit of a cliche i i i agree it does sound like a cliche but if i want to put it into practice, I also have to figure out, okay, so what's the right metric to keep me on my toes and ensure that we are delivering on that very, very big promise. So we're taking a very different twist to that as well, to the way that we measure performance. So whereas often customer experience teams would would measure CSAT, customer satisfaction rating as a metric, we're focusing on the five out of five CSAT, we're just focusing on the top score to ensure that we're maximizing amazing experiences. We want to make sure that people are leaving every interaction with our learner experience team feeling, okay, wow, I I did not see that coming. This was a unique experience. And yeah, we're getting some great feedback in that regard. That is a real twist on CSAT. Yeah, I think... You know, at the beginning when we started doing it, I was I was very curious about it. As as with many aspects at Simply, we we test a lot of things. Nothing is taken for granted. We need to see actual merit in the crazy ideas that we might have. And when we started implementing that, we then sought out to investigate. Okay, is this generating proper value? Let's let's get some feedback from from our learners. What are they saying? And we're starting to see these remarkable bits of input that we're getting from people saying that they're not used to someone talking to them like that in a friendly way, yet also very professional and informative and supportive. And we see how that has very good impact on on learner retention and learner success. We have a lot of supporting metrics that say that it's not just a great idea for a CX team to to focus on CSAT, it actually has 
proper tangible impact on big company metrics. So we're very proud of that. We're very proud of what we're doing. So when you're playing piano, do you have a favorite genre or song that you enjoy playing? Yeah. Wow, you're really taking me back. This, this is really interesting. When I started, I started learning how to play the piano through Simply Piano, I realized I didn't really know what I'm into. And I found it interesting that at the beginning, the app takes you to both classical music. So like learning Beethoven's like Ode to Joy and, and then also to pop music and, and other genres. I think looking back, I was kind of surprised that I enjoyed both of them. You know, those classical music bits, like the, they're these sort of things that Everybody knows, like everybody knows the tune, everybody knows the melodies. Yes, the ones you don't know, the title or composer, but you instantly recognize the tune from a film or TV show. Exactly. And then when I was able to, to play it, I was just so proud of myself. I was like, wow, I can actually produce that music. And like, I literally remember calling my wife that day and telling, I just played this and that and, uh, you know, and recording it, etc. And then being able to come home to my daughter and, and she's six years old now and playing Baby Shark for her. Next, we're off to class, or rather the company is called Off to Class. My name is Chris Gazia. I'm the co-founder and CEO of OftClass. And OftClass is a tool for English as a second language teachers. There are about 5.3 million students in K-12 schools in the U.S. that don't speak English as their native language. It's actually 10% of all students, and it's the fastest growing student demographic. And we're used by school districts across the country to make sure these students don't fall further behind than they already have. Chris, where did the story start? Yeah, well, I was actually on a career break and I was living in Istanbul at the time with my, with my co-founder, a longtime friend. He is a linguist. He speaks five languages. He went to the Sorbonne, which in practical terms means you end up being an English as a second language teacher as a career. And so he was tutoring online when I was staying with him in Istanbul. And we realized at the time that lesson content, kind of education content, hadn't been reimagined for the video conference classroom. So I started actually taking the lesson plans that he'd created and we put them on a web tool. We put them out to a community of online ESL teachers and pretty much went from there. We wanted to see if we could monetize early. So we really went after teacherpreneurs, folks that were teaching online. And yeah, we realized that teachers were really hungry for lesson content that was designed for online lessons. So we got pulled into U.S. school districts relatively organically. And to this day, you know, we, we've scaled quite well across the U.S., but we still have a big international pool of online tutors that use us to teach online. You guys founded the company in 2014. What did the landscape look like for EdTech back then? Yeah, that's great. So when I would tell people what I did at, at dinner parties or what have you, people were actually really surprised to hear that you could learn a language online. 
they had never heard of it. They had never heard of, um, you know, kind of Skype lessons, I guess it was at the time. And, you know, fast forward to now, it's, it's almost a given that, you know, education is digitized. It's just a matter of what's being digitized next and at what pace. And I think what's surprising is despite all the, all the hype around EdTech that obviously blew up throughout the pandemic years, a huge portion of education from an institutional perspective is still not digitized. So there's still, you know, that, that old adage of software is eating the world is very much still true for, for education. That's interesting because I feel like for a while, EdTech was hailed as something that was going to come in and transform everything. And then we didn't really hear about the sector for a while. Yeah, well, no, I mean, at the end of the day, education is, is, is an old industry, of course, and outcomes are important. So throughout the hype of the pandemic, a bunch of solutions jumped up that just, you know, right place, right time. But at the end of the day, if the outcomes aren't there, if you're not, if you're not driving savings for the teachers or driving, you know, outcomes for the students, it can kind of go by the wayside. It's the type of tool that can just fall off. So what was the off-to-classes experience throughout the pandemic? We saw it, at least from the off-to-class perspective, we saw it very much in waves, <laughs> similar to the pandemic itself. So, so the first wave was utter chaos, was, was teachers from you know, school districts or all sorts of institutions all over the world coming to our website and basically asking us, like, are you Zoom or are you this? Or like with, with no, no, no even categorization of where they were just kind of in a bit of a panic. Yeah, we were able to, to catalyze that for, for some growth. And we were able to, to kind of double down on the work we were doing in the United States with the English language learner teams. Yeah, I mean, for us, it's been successive waves, but we are, we're growing the fastest we ever have now, now that everybody's back at school. Speaking of kids being back at school, there's been a lot of talk about teacher shortages. Is that something you're seeing? So the labor shortages that are plaguing almost every industry in, in, in Western countries are extremely acute when it comes to teachers in the U.S. There's a lot of early retirement. There was a lot of uh, soul searching throughout the years. A lot of people, a lot of teachers thought about, you know, kind of pivoting their careers and whatnot. So the teacher shortages are extremely acute. When it comes to ESL, English as a second language instruction, there was already a skills shortage when it came to the United States. So what we're seeing right now is anything that can alleviate teacher shortages or staffing crunches is extremely attractive to our customers. So when I was talking about how we started in 2014 with all of these online tutors that still use off-class to teach, we're now able to provide those tutors to our district customers as, as an online solution. And that's super attractive. Are teacher shortages a new challenge or has that always been there? For me, the staffing issues are new. It's really been over the last year in every sector, not just in education, that the, that the staffing issues have really come to the forefront, at least for our clients. Yeah, we're, we're seeing it as an opportunity to rethink the way teaching gets delivered to students in schools. It must be a really rewarding sector to work in and help shape. Absolutely. So when you look at the U.S. context, we're particularly used with older students. And most of the school districts have tons of interventions for English as a second language students that are, you know, kind of younger, K through six. You know, the theory being if you, if you put a lot of resource at the students when they're young, 
they're no longer English language learners in a, in a couple of years. But the reality is there's also a lot of older students and these older students, they might not care about their state assessment scores. You know, they might not care about getting, getting a certain mark on their SAT and getting into a certain university. What they need is, is kind of life skills and, and the ability to, to communicate clearly in English. And, and, and that has a major driver on their, on their future outcomes. And so when we really think about older students in, in a K-12 environment that don't speak English in an English-speaking country, it's, it's really often that these students are at a juncture of inequity where if they don't pick up language skills quickly, their future outcomes are going to be seriously, seriously hampered. So it sounds like across the sector, there's still a lot of potential to be realized. Absolutely. So there's going to be a period of, well, what I suspect, if, if I had a crystal ball, what I suspect is there's going to be a period of strong focus on efficacy and outcomes. Because, because frankly, you know, especially during, during the pandemic, but even before, like I was saying earlier, a lot of tools were there at the right place at the right time. But I think now, now everybody's going to be looking at efficacy. And then we're really proving efficacy through certain practices. I think it's those tools and, and solutions that are gonna are really gonna thrive in the next generation. Yeah, my name's Chris Hull. I'm the chief product officer and co-founder of Otis, which is a system that is able to integrate student performance information into one place, providing teachers and educators and families a more comprehensive understanding of who a student is and what they need to maximize their learning. How did you come up with this idea, Chris? Yeah, so I was a seventh and eighth grade social studies teacher for 11 years. But in year three, I kept on using technology to help me do my job. I had replaced an absolute legend in our district, somebody who is an incredible teacher, and I couldn't do the job as well as they could. So I kept on turning to technology to help me out, to be kind of an aid and support. And I was lucky enough with my sixth grade social studies teacher counterpart to write a grant that brought one device to every student. And this was all the way back in 2010. And I thought, giving every student a device was going to be the panacea to change everything. I thought my job was going to become easy. But what I quickly found was, no, giving a device to, again, seventh and eighth graders doesn't make learning magical. Instead, what really is needed is this idea of how do we know who a student is? And we really were able to pinpoint a major pain point, which was the fact that Educators have so much going on in their life, they do not have a system that so many other industries have. And that's a system that is able to pull all this information. What are they passionate about? How did they perform on certain skills or certain assessments? Pulling all this information together is something that education hadn't had. So for example, if you're a salesperson, you might have Salesforce, where all of a sudden multiple people can be tracking activities. Who did I contact? Why did I contact them? And then the sales leader has insight into what's happening. Or someone actually, I know we're on the Intercom podcast here, but Intercom does the same thing for customer support. You're able to see so much information about a user chatting in, you're able to better help them. 
what company are they with? How long have they been in the system? What are they trying to do? And with this information, you can better troubleshoot or help them achieve their goals. And this is what education needs. We need to be able to look at a student. Where were they in their learning journey? Where are they today in their learning journey? And what attributes or information can be gathered into this profile that can really unlock what they need to do next to really maximize learning? Chris says that historically, EdTech had been trying to provide solutions for single point problems. I am struggling to do X. Well, let me make a solution that can do X. Like I want my students to be able to write a blog. Oh, here's a website or a technology tool that can help write a blog. Oh, I want to be able to have students collaborate on something. Well, maybe I have like a Google Docs. Again, it was all these single points, these single solutions, and Really, what has happened in the last 10 years is that there's kind of been this understanding that we need something that can really bring things together. Because if information or data is in 12 different places, and I have 150 students, do I have time to do 150, you know, 150 times 10 clicks? Like, no, I don't have the time. So being able to really streamline efficiency and effectiveness is really what's changing. And we're seeing that in the educational industry where all of a sudden you don't just have one tool, you have multiple tools grouped together, allowing you to achieve these goals. And again, that parallel is very much like what you all are doing at Intercom, where you don't just need a chat tool, you also need support articles, or you need to be able to translate, or you need to see the metrics. You want to be able to roll all of these tools into a single place to make people more efficient in, in the goals they're trying to achieve. What challenges have you faced along the journey? One of the things that I, I got wrong, I think it's really important that you're honest about what you get right, what you get wrong. And one of the things I got very wrong was in 2010, I thought the road or the journey of the United States educational systems to going one-to-one, -one, again, one device to every student, I thought this was going to be like a very straight line journey. It was now possible in 2010, 2011, we get iPads, and soon after we get Chromebooks. And I was like, oh man, the adoption rate's gonna really be, you know, this nice straight line where we get, you know, we start here and it's gonna go straight up. We really actually saw a plateau where we had districts that were have or have not based upon funding where we didn't see that adoption rate. I thought by 2020, one-to-one -one was gonna be the reality for all districts. And if you would have asked me this in 2019, I would have been like, I was wrong. It's looking like it's going to be 2025. It looks like it's just going to be a slower adoption rate than I had expected. Unfortunately, the pandemic hit. And one of the things that quickly became apparent was, man, we got to get devices ASAP. And so really, you've seen over the last two years from 2020 to 2022, this massive adoption of one-to-one. -one. And once you have a student with the device, it really opens up what is possible. Now, again, one of the things that can be dangerous, though, is if you have a blank canvas and you have over 15,000 districts in the United States, a blank canvas can actually be intimidating. It's like, where do I start? It's almost like I need a paint-by-number system so I can make a pretty picture here. And that is where I think the educational technology is catching up. And that's where I think Otis is uniquely positioned to where we have the framework and the ability to help districts in their initiatives of 
I need to be able to assess students with common assessments. Oh man, that's something that we need to do to understand how kids are doing across the district. Or standards-based grading is a big deal right now. How do we help that? We have these pathways that kind of give you the guidelines and frameworks of how to be successful. The other guideline that we really do well is something that I think after the pandemic is essential, which is progress monitoring, not just select students, but every student. How do we help every student grow and improve? Because after the pandemic, we've really seen so many different types of gaps or differences between students. Some students might have missed or a week or two in January of 2022. Some might have missed time, you know, at a different point. You, your gaps are so unique because of the circumstances of the last two years in education. It really means we have to be able to look and understand how are our kids doing socially, emotionally, and academically. But we have to look at the kid, but then also groups of kids. And it's putting a lot of strain on, on the educational industry for sure. What does the future look like for EdTech? I think that we're on the, the, the precipice of something that's going to be really amazing. I think that we are going into a place where the pandemic caused just a hold on to your seats. What can we do to the best of our ability to help kids? But as we're leaving that space, I think we have a chance to really unlock a new mindset around differentiating learning and really helping kids where they're at. And again, educators are doing an incredible job. They've been throwing so many curveballs in this situation. But as we leave, and we're now getting back to this new world of education, I think that the technology out there is going to continue to grow in its ability to support educators. I really think the ultimate goal is for educators to have these educational tools, these educational technology that is their support system, so that it's like they, they have their own assistant. You know, it's kind of like when we see I always look at Google or some of these other companies where if they can give you this recommendation engine where, hey, I think I'm going to finish your sentence in an email. It just makes you a little bit more efficient, a little bit more effective. That learning is coming. And I think education, I think as an industry, it's sometimes a, a couple years behind other places. But I feel we have the technology going in place. I think schools are understanding what they need to do and they're getting the footing to allow them to really grow. And I think in the next three to five years, you're going to see the ability to get a better understanding of learning, but also supporting educators so they can do more targeted teaching based upon those measurements of where kids are. That's it for today. My thanks to Tristram Hewitt of OutSchool, Liran Biederman of Simply, Chris Jagazi of Off to Class, and Chris Hull of Otis all Intercom customers. We'll be back next week with more Inside Intercom.